0: Well, Jesus told over three dozen stories with profound meanings, Uh, stories whose meanings aren't always obvious as we read through them. And we're in a series called Profound Stories. We're looking at just some of these stories, Jesus called them parables, to learn some important lessons for our lives. Uh, Today, our message is entitled Confident Prayer. Now, the stories that Jesus told cover some of the most important topics in God's Word. And one of the most important things that Jesus taught his disciples was how to pray. Very, very important topic. What is prayer? Well, prayer is, in its essence, communicating with God. Oftentimes, I would say most of the time, people view prayer as one-way communication. You tell God what you want, and you hope that God fulfills your request. Kind of reminds me of Christmas when I was a child. You let your parents know exactly what gift you wanted under the tree. Back then they had paper catalogs. I don't know if you know, I'm dating myself, that came in the mail and all the Christmas gifts. And you said, I want this. Nothing else, I want this one. And then you prayed and you, you hoped that when Christmas Day came and you went, your gift would be wrapped underneath the tree and oftentimes people pray like that today you know everybody prays when they want something everybody prays when they're in trouble common saying that there's a lot of truth in is there are no atheists in foxholes you know when you're in grave danger everything God help me everybody prays to God and yet many of the prayers that people pray are not answered People wonder why. Why are some prayers answered, some are not? And so we're going to address that as we go on, why some prayers aren't answered, what it takes to see a prayer answered. To introduce the topic today, I'd like to play a short video called Everybody Prays. So you see, prayer is not just about asking, as it were, the, the great Santa Claus in the sky to give you presents whenever you want them. True prayer is about communicating with God. True prayer is about building your relationship with God. You know, all relationships are built on two-way communication. If you're married here today and your entire communication with your spouse was one way, either they just told you what to do all the time and you could never say anything back or vice versa, that wouldn't be much of a marriage, would it? All relationships are built on two-way communication. We talk to God. And he responds back to us. He talks to us. In a few minutes, we'll talk about how we hear from God. Uh, I can't see him. You can't see him. God is spirit. Generally speaking, we don't hear him audibly speaking to us. That could happen. Sometimes it has happened, but generally it doesn't. God speaks to us in other ways, but God does speak if we have ears to listen. Now, how does this two-way communication affect our, our prayer life? I'd like us to look at a very important verse. A couple of verses in 1 John chapter 5, uh, the outline and the verses are written out in your bulletin and the white page. I encourage you to follow along there. It says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, speaking of God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request That we have asked of Him. And so these two verses begin to answer many of our questions about prayer. What kind of prayers does God hear? Well, these verses answer it God hears prayers that are according to His will. In other words, when we ask for things that God desires for us, He hears us. If we ask for things that God doesn't want to give us, things that are not His will for us, He doesn't hear us. It's kind of like a kid at Christmas. You know, you you ask for something that your parents think is dangerous or inappropriate for your age, they don't really hear you. They you don't ever receive that gift. It's not their will. The same is true with God. And so therein lies one of the major reasons for unanswered prayer. Requests that are simply what we want, not what God wants. He doesn't hear. We don't receive the answers. They really don't make it past the ceiling. But when we pray according to God's will, he hears us and he gives us the answer to our prayers. Now, that answer might not come immediately. It might take time. But the answer will come if we pray in faith according to God's will. So that leads us to the next question. Well, if our prayers, in order to be answered, have to be according to God's will, how do we know God's will? So that it can inform our prayers. Well, we're going to talk very briefly here about four main ways to discover God's will in any particular matter uh, that we want to pray about or that we have questions about. and We'll list them very briefly and then we'll move into talking about prayer. The first way to discover God's will, uh, really the gold standard, is God's Word. Uh, God's Word is God's manual on what His will is, how He wants us to live, It's our primary textbook on the will of God. We need to read. We need to study God's word. Secondly, the second way to discover God's will is to listen to the whisper of his Holy Spirit. As believers, the Holy Spirit lives within us. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. That's how God speaks to us, through his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will take God's word and apply it to the particular situations in our lives. The Holy Spirit will guide us to know God's will. The third way of discovering God's will is through godly counsel of other believers. Sometimes God will speak through another person and give us direction for our lives. And again, uh, all of these, whether it's the Holy Spirit, what we feel the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, whether another person is counseling us, they will line up with God's word. Uh, If that's true, godly counsel If we're really hearing from the Holy Spirit, then it will line up with what God's Word says. The fourth and least reliable way is simply through the circumstances of our lives. Uh, Sometimes, when we've all had this experience, we want to do something and God just closes the door. And you just can't go through. And you can pray, you can kick, you can scream, and the door is closed. And ultimately, we need to realize uh, God has closed this door. I'm not supposed to go through that one, and we need to start looking for the open door. Because God's got something else for us. So God sometimes speaks through circumstances as well. So those four ways, through his word, through his spirit, through godly counsel, and through circumstances. But the reason we're talking about this is that when we know God's will in a situation, then we can pray according to that will. And we can have faith that God is hearing us because we're praying according to his will, and that he is going to answer us according to his promise. 1 John five fourteen and 15 is a promise. When we pray according to God's will, he will answer, and our requests will come to pass in God's time. Well, today we're going to be looking at three profound stories or parables that Jesus taught on the topic of prayer to discover some principles of prayer that will guide us in having more answered prayer in our lives. First of all, we need to believe that prayer is effective. Now that's kind of obvious. If you don't believe prayer is effective, you're not going to pray. Uh, you have to believe that prayer accomplishes something. And the more we have faith in the effectiveness of prayer that is powerful and effective, the more we're going to pray. The story that Jesus told that we're going to talk about now begins in Luke chapter 11. He's, and it says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. So in this story, a man has a friend who arrives late at night at his house. He's coming on a journey. In those days, you know, you're either walking or on a donkey or something like that it was a very long journey and the man in the house had nothing to feed his friend with and uh, that was kind of a disaster because normally when somebody visited you normal hospitality was to feed them especially if they came on a long journey the guy was probably really hungry out of food and he was starving so this was a genuine need so what is the man in the house going to do he had nothing in the house to feed this guy and so he goes next door to a neighbor he has a friend who is a neighbor and uh, he asked him to lend him some bread. Obviously, he was going to pay it back at some point in the future. The only problem was it was at midnight. Not exactly a good time to knock on your neighbor's door. Now, in this story, we're meant to identify with the main character, uh, the man who was in the house that the traveler came to. His request to his neighbor for bread Symbolizes prayer. And so, what happened to him when he went to his neighbor's house and asked for bread at midnight? Well, we're going to learn what happens next. We're going to learn how to be bold in prayer. Jesus continues the story in verse 7. He says, He will answer from within, knocking on this guy's door, uh, asking for bread, and say, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And Jesus says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet, because of his impudence or boldness or persistence, this has been translated many different ways, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, houses in Jesus' day were generally one-room uh, affairs. Everybody at night slept on the floor. They put mats out, and so there were mats all over the floor. The guy's children were sleeping there. Uh, the door was locked and barred at night so no, they'd be safe. Nobody could get in. And so the guy sleeping in the house, he didn't want to get up and trip over his kids, unlock the door, and uh, he just was tired. It was time to sleep, and he just said, go away. It's, it's just too late. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus said that because of the friend's impudence or or boldness, or some translations say shameless audacity, the translators are having trouble with this word, uh, what it really is. But eventually, the sleeping friend would get up and answer his request because the guy was so bold, he just kept on. And the take-home lesson is that the friend knocking on the door at midnight continued asking as we'll see continued seeking continued knocking until the answer came he wouldn't take no for an answer now in a way partly the the sleeping man inside represents God not totally but partially because God doesn't always immediately answer our prayers does he but if we keep on boldly asking eventually the answer will come and that's That's really Jesus' point in this story because God will ultimately generously provide if we continue to boldly ask. So Jesus continues the story in the next verse. He says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door and it will be opened to you. And so Jesus' instructions to us on how we are to pray were to ask, to seek, and to knock. And I believe that each of these terms is more intensive than the other. You know, you can just ask somebody for something. They say no. And then seeking is continued asking, being a little bolder in your request. And finally, knocking is knocking loudly on the door until the door is opened. And I think we see that happening with the friend at midnight. He probably talked through the door and the guy didn't get up. And He talked louder and then he started hammering on the door and finally the guy just... Okay, I'm not going to get any sleep anyhow. I'm going to give you the bread. Now, in the original language, each of these terms, ask, seeking, and knocking, indicate continual or repeated action. Jesus is talking to us to boldly continue to pray. Now, Jesus ends the story by telling us the best gift that we as children of God can ask for. He says in the intervening verses, we don't have time to read. You can read them yourself uh, this week. He says that no earthly father would give his children a bad or a dangerous gift. And the same is true of our heavenly father. And that's one of the reasons sometimes our prayers aren't answered, right? What we're asking for is not a good gift. What we're asking for would not be appropriate for us at this point in our lives. It might even be dangerous to us or somebody else in one way or another. Maybe not physically, but emotionally, spiritually, or, or something like that. And so let's look at this, this verse that Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. He says, if you then, who are evil, this is in contrast to our heavenly Father, we are all have evil and sin within us, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so the best gift that God has for each of his children is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus highlights that as a as a good gift that God gives to his children. Now this is really a, a really overlooked verse, and we really can't do it justice today, but let's just ask a couple questions. Do we need to ask God for the Holy Spirit to indulge us when we believe in Jesus? The answer is no. I mean, he just comes and dwells within us. So it's automatic. So what is Jesus talking about here? Well, who wrote the Gospel of Luke? It's not a hard question. It's Luke. What else did Luke write? He wrote the book of Acts. And so there's really a lot in the Gospel of Luke that points forward to the book of Acts. Uh, There's a lot the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, about the Holy Spirit. And so I believe it's obvious here that uh, Jesus is talking about, and Luke is quoting him, he's talking about asking the Father to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. We see at the beginning of the book of Acts, a people there are asking for the Holy Spirit, the good gift, and God then answers their prayer as a good father and gives them the, the gift of the Holy Spirit in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so God has all kinds of other good gifts for us. And when we believe that prayer is effective, we're going to pray boldly. We're not going to give up until the answer comes. Now, let's think a little bit more about this story. When the man in the house went next door and asked for some bread, who was he asking the bread for? Now, In a way, he was going to get it, but it really was for somebody else, wasn't it? It wasn't for himself. He wasn't going to eat the bread. He was going to give it to the traveler who had come to his house on a long journey. He was asking for bread to meet another person's need. And all too often, our our prayers focus on ourselves alone. Now, it's not wrong to ask for ourselves. We all need to do it. Jesus taught us to do that. But if that's all that our prayers are about, that's a problem. I believe we would see a lot more answers to prayers when we prayed for others first and foremost and we kept on boldly praying for other people. And God would answer our prayers and bless them as we keep on boldly praying until the answer comes and in fact, Jesus promised in Matthew 633. If we seek his kingdom first. He's going to meet all of our needs. Seeking his kingdom first and to seek his kingdom in other people's lives. Then he will meet our needs. And sometimes we get that turned around. We, we seek our needs first. And then if those needs are met, well, then we'll, we'll seek after the kingdom. God wants us to get our priorities straight in our prayer life. Next, Jesus taught us to pray always. Our second story that we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 18, verse 1 says, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Well, now we know what the parable is about. Jesus doesn't always do it that way. But in this particular instance, we know exactly what the parable or the story is supposed to teach us before we even hear the story. The point is that we are to pray in every circumstance and we are not to lose heart or be discouraged Why was Jesus going to address those two issues in his story? Well, we tend not to pray always. We tend not to pray enough. And we tend to get discouraged if the answer doesn't immediately come and stop praying. And so he was telling us this story to address those issues. So we need to learn, and some of these parables overlap the meaning with, Some of the meaning in this parable is going to overlap the one we just uh, talked about. But I'm sure that's by design because it's such an important point. We need to learn to be persistent in prayer. Now, this parable, Jesus begins in verse 2 of Luke chapter 18. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And so we have two main characters in this story, a, a judge who is prideful and unrighteous, and a poor widow. And in Jesus' day, widows were, uh, were often uh, very poor. In the, Jesus' day, widows had little support from others. They were often taken advantage of. And in some way, this widow had been attacked by an adversary. And most likely, this wasn't a physical attack. Most likely, it was somebody who had taken some type of financial advantage over her. And uh, she was asking for the judge to give her justice concerning this other person. It might have swindled her out of some money or something like that. Now, notice in the language that she kept coming to him over and over. She kept asking. Now, of course... The widow asking the judge is symbolic of us coming to God the Father and praying and asking for things. And the, the widow was asking in faith that something would ultimately happen, and we are to pray in faith. Now, as we read through the whole story, we don't have time to read all the verses today. Uh, the next verses indicate that the judge initially refused the woman's request. He just said, no, I'm not going to give you justice. I'm not going to do anything for you. But she kept coming back again and again with the same request until eventually she wore him down and he granted her request. And Jesus ends this story with these verses in Luke 18, verses 7 and 8. And he says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily, nevertheless. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And so God, of course, is much more receptive to his children than this unrighteous judge. And we see in Jesus' conclusion to this story that God's elect, which is believers like you and me, we should be crying to him day and night. That's what our prayer life should be. In fact, the New Testament says we're supposed to pray continually. It's the most important thing we should be doing day in and day night. uh, During the day and during the night. And yet Jesus ends with the question, is he going to find faith on earth when the Son of Man comes? When he returns again, is there going to be faith on earth? Now, why does he say that? Well, what does it take to motivate us to cry to God day and night? It takes faith. Faith that God hears and that God is going to answer, that our prayers are doing something, that our prayers are accomplishing something. Without faith, you're not going to cry out to God day and night. Without faith, you're going to become discouraged. The answer doesn't immediately come and you're going to stop praying. But with faith and persistence, the point of Jesus' story is that God is going to answer our prayers that are prayed according to his will and bring justice. Now, I believe that the principles in this story of Jesus are broader than the specific issue of the widow. Uh, it applies to all kinds of prayers. But let's just think for a minute, what, what is justice? What is justice should we pray for? The widow was asking for justice to protect her from her adversary. Now, who is our adversary? Well, the New Testament tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, We wrestle against Satan and his evil forces. That's our true adversary. So we are to pray for protection. It's basically what the widow was praying for, for justice or protection from her adversary. We are to pray for protection and uh, justice from attacks of Satan and evil people who follow in his footsteps, protection for ourselves, our families, our church. We ask for justice. Protection for those who are lost, for those who are in Satan's clutches, that they would be set free, that they would be saved and come into the safety of the family of God. So we must learn to pray always and persistently. Finally, the third story we're going to look at is going to teach us to pray with the right attitudes. Now, this story is immediately following the one we just talked about in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So we see at the very beginning that this story of Jesus is directed towards people who are prideful. They were prideful. They trusted not in God. They trusted in their own good deeds. Not only did they have pride in themselves, Uh, They treated others contemptuously. Of course, those two go hand in hand. If you're very proud, you're not going to treat others very well either. The two main characters in this story are a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were rulers. They were leaders in the Jewish religion. They were thought of very highly. The tax collectors were looked down upon uh, as being cheats, as being one of the lowest occupations that one could have. And now Jesus is going to show us the difference between how these two men prayed, which really reveals what was in their hearts and what should be in our hearts. He's going to show us that we mustn't pray with a prideful attitude. First look at the Pharisee, verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. Well, that first prayer is the prayer of the Pharisee, and in his prayer, he, what does he do? He compares himself to other people, other people that he would consider evil, that we would consider evil. He even compared himself to the tax collector who is over there in another section of the temple praying as well. The Pharisee is proud of himself, proud of the things that he did. He regularly fasted. He tithed. Is Anything wrong with those things? No. Things that God's word tells us to do. But he took great pride in that, and he compared himself to others. Now, notice in this prayer, does the Pharisee ask God for anything? No. He doesn't think he needs anything from God. He's perfectly fine the way he is. He thinks he can take care of himself. And so this Pharisee clearly trusts in his own good works to make himself acceptable to God. And he is sure he is in God's good graces, unlike all of the sinners around him. And as we'll see in Jesus' teaching in this story, this prideful example of the Pharisee is one that we are not to follow in prayer. We are to pray with a humble attitude. Let's look at the prayer of the tax collector. Says, Jesus says, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who is humbled, humbles himself will be exalted. And so the tax collector, in contrast to the Pharisee, recognizes his own sin. He recognizes his need for forgiveness. He asked God for something. He humbly asked God to have mercy on him and to forgive his sins. And then Jesus tells us how God responds to those two prayers. Jesus tells us that the tax collector was forgiven. He was justified in God's sight, whereas the Pharisee was not. The Pharisee, just as a tax collector, had sins, but he didn't recognize those sins. He didn't repent of them because of his pride, and he was not forgiven. And Jesus promises us that when we humble ourselves in prayer, God will forgive and lift us up. And so in order for our prayers to be answered, we must pray with the right attitude and attitude of humility. And so this story adds another aspect to having our prayers answered. We must pray with this proper attitude or motive. Let's just uh, consider a common example. Suppose you're sick and you desire for God to heal you. You look at God's word and uh, you see God still heals the sick. It seems to be God's will. But what is, what is our attitude? Why do we want to be healed? Is it just about us or is God and his kingdom involved in our motives? God wants to heal us for, our, for his purposes. God wants to heal us so that we can give him glory. God wants to heal us so that we can continue to serve him. James 4.3 tells us that when we ask for our own pleasure, that is a wrong motive and God will not answer those prayers. We need to be asking with God's will in mind, praying with a humble attitude a motive for God in His kingdom. So we're back to where we began this morning with the question, how can I have more of my prayers answered? I'll just summarize. First of all, our prayers must be prayed according to God's will, listening for God's voice, discerning God's will, and then praying back the things He wants to do in our lives. And so actually, our prayer should begin with God. Next, we must pray in faith, praying and believing that our prayers are effective, Because we have faith, we're going to keep praying boldly until the answer comes. And finally, we must pray with a humble attitude, seeking God's glory, not our own pleasure. And as we grow in following Jesus' teaching on prayer, we're going to see more and more of our prayers answered. Our faith is going to grow, and God is going to fill our hearts with joy. Now, in order to pray confidently the title of our message, Confident Prayer. You must be a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, The first prayer that God hears is really the prayer of the tax collector, a sinner repenting, turning away from their sins. And so to become a believer, we pray, uh, we repent, we turn away from our sin, we admit that we've sinned, we believe, we put our faith, our trust in Jesus as our Savior. And we commit our lives to following him. He's risen from the dead. He's alive today to following his teaching and following his word. So I'd like to ask us all to bow our heads right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer. Uh, if you'd like to commit your life to Jesus Christ this morning, if you haven't done it in the past, or you'd like to recommit your life, I'd like to encourage you just to pray along with me in your heart, in your mind. And God knows what's in your heart, and he will meet you. Pray something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things, things that I knew were wrong. I repent. I turn away from those things. And I ask for you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven. He rose from the dead. He's alive today. And I put my trust in him and I commit myself to following him. As my Lord and Savior. All the days of my life. And for those of us who are believers. Let's pray as well. Father we thank you for these profound stories. Or parables of Jesus. To teach us how to grow in our prayer lives. Forgive us God for not praying always. For not being committed enough to prayer. For not praying day and night. We believe that the prayer of a righteous person. Is powerful and effective. And we ask that you. Help us. To remember to pray at all times. Help us to be persistent in our faith. And in our prayers. Until the answer comes. May you purify our heart. Attitudes and our motives. May we seek your kingdom first. Trusting you. You to meet our needs. God, we pray for our church. We pray for divine favor to open new doors for our church to reach more people for Jesus. We pray that we'd have the courage and boldness to go through those open doors, even though they may be different than things we've done in the past. We pray for missionaries Jason and Sheila Fisher who are raising support for their upcoming work in England. God, we pray that You would prepare the way before them as they go around churches seeking support and help them to plant a thriving church in that country that has drifted very far away from you. Encourage their hearts today as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you made a commitment or recommitment of your life to Jesus Christ this morning, I'd like ask you to check a box on your Connect card so that we can pray for you. We have some materials out on the table in the foyer. I encourage you to pick those up. They're free. Startup Studies, just four short lessons about what it means to be a believer and to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then a New Believers New Testament and New Living Translation, which is a, a very good translation to read. At the end of the service, I'll be available down front as will Calvin for any need you might have in life. We'd be happy to pray for you. We encourage you to come forward. Uh, and in closing, we're going to sing song, O God of Mine. And let's just sing that song as a prayer from our heart that God is our God and we are his followers. So let's stand as we worship.